Well, hey, friends, wherever you are tuning into the Right Side of Leadership podcast today, I hope that you are going to have an amazing day. I'm glad to be here with you. We've got a fun conversation on deck for you to get into in just a moment. Uh, it was a great one. On Tuesday, it was book launch day for our friend Daniel Fusco. If you know Daniel, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. He is an author. He's pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. Just an all-around amazing human being. And he just released a brand new book called Crazy Happy, Nine Surprising Ways to Live the Truly Beautiful Life. And we aired the interview live into our Right Side Up community. So if you haven't come join us in the Right Side Up community, you need to. It's a fun space, a leadership support community. It's growing very fast, and it's a great space to hang out, gain support from one another and from our coaches to grow and take next steps on your leadership journey. And we're going to start doing some cool things like airing exclusive interviews into that community a little bit early before they run on the Right Side Up Leadership podcast. So this is a fun one. Got to have a really fun Q&A. You're going to love the lightning round at the end. So I'm stoked. Enjoy today's conversation with Alan and Daniel Fusco on his new book, Crazy Happy, Nine Surprising Ways to Live the Truly Beautiful Life. As we record, this is actually launch day, and some of you guys are hearing this later on the podcast, and um, I will just say, guys, that Daniel is the real deal. I love Crossroads Community Church, uh, that he pastors an incredible team and staff there Uh, I won't go back and and share many of the things he's done over his life, but I will just say he cares deeply about people. He's a shepherd. He's a pastor communicator. He cares about his kids. We were just talking about our kids, and we take that role as dad so seriously uh, in their lives. Um, But if there's somebody who's going to write this book, Crazy Happy, I I think it's you, Fusco. I think you nailed it, man. So, so happy to see this. I was crazy happy to see this. So, talk a little bit about that. What was the journey toward writing this book, why did you choose Crazy Happy? And what was that kind of moment you're like, yes, I need to put this in writing? So so for me, the book started, you know, like everybody wants to be happy, you know, and that's just like, you know, and some people, you know, they look down upon it. Sometimes within the church community, people are like, oh man, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy, you know, and it's like, it's almost like happy is bad. But, but I'm like, McDonald's never tried to sell a sad meal. It's like, it's like, oh, there's a snap. reason they sell it. <laughs> you know, there's a reason they sell it, the ha- happy meal. So it's like, and then, you know, what happened was for me is I was in a season of ministry. It was a little bit after Alan, me and you first met, I was kind of skidding into my family vacation in the summer. Like, you know, it's like where you're like, you're just doing everything you can not to lose it before you go on vacation. And I was so crispy. That was the word that I used for it. I was just brittle. And it wasn't that anything was going bad. It was like, everything was going great. You know, I think my first book had come out, you know, the church was rocking. I had a great team, you know, but I was just, I was not feeling great. And so I remember normally I'm a, you know, pretty type A kind of a person. So when I, when it's time for a vacation, I got my, I'm going to read these books. Yeah, I'm gonna, I got all the, I got a plan for my own spiritual growth, but I was so crispy that I'm like, I can't eat. I don't even want to like worry about reading. So I'm just going to soak in the Beatitudes. I'm just going to soak in them. You know, and so I just grabbed my journal. I wrote down the nine Beatitudes. And, you know, as I was kind of praying about it, I started thinking, you know, that word that we have, you know, uh, you know, blessed, it, it means, oh, how happy, makarios in the Greek. And I'm like, looking, I'm like, oh, wait, this is God's plan for happiness. Well, that's kind of deep. And then after about like five days of vacation, my ADD kicked in. And like, I'm not a great rester. You know that about me, me and you talk about that a lot. So You're I'm growing. like, isn't there... Isn't there nine fruit of the spirit as well? So I kind of flipped over to Galatians five 
And I'm like, oh yeah, there is. I'm like, I wonder what happens if you line up like the nine beatitudes and the nine fruit of the spirit. And, uh, and, and instead of like mixing them up to make them make sense to me, I'm like, you know, the order is important too. So just put them together. And then all of a sudden this whole thing opened up for me. And really the beatitudes and the fruit of the spirit began to kind of be a mirror into my own soul because all these things that I was doing that were supposed to make me happy, they were making me crispy. And I really started to realize that, man, Jesus has already told us about what human happiness is. He's already explained it to us. And even though I believe in Jesus, I've been walking with Jesus, I'm a pastor, I tell people about Jesus, I wasn't actually even practicing the very things that Jesus said. And so very quickly, I'm like, oh, this is powerful. And, and then I went to Google and I said, someone had to put the Beatitudes and the fruit of the spirit together. Like someone had to do this before me. And I was shocked that like in 2000 years of Christianity, two of the most famous passages, nobody wrote the books. I'm like, okay, we're going to do it. I love it. So nine surprising ways to live the truly beautiful life. All right. Uh, first of all, what is the truly beautiful life? What do you mean by that? Well, so what's beautiful is, is the, the word beatitude, it comes from the Latin, which literally means the, what's beautific, it's beautiful. And so the whole idea is that I believe that people don't feel happy in their lives is because they don't see their lives as beautiful, right? And so, and what I also believe is that the reason we don't see our lives as beautiful or happy is because we have the complete wrong perspective on what beauty is and what happiness is. You know, and so in some ways I wrote the book, like the idea of being crazy happy, it's not like Ren and Stimpy, like happy, happy, joy, joy, just kind of uh, manic happy, although I, I do lean towards that. The idea is that, you know, God's plan for our happiness is found in crazy places. Like if you think about the Beatitudes, the very first one says, blessed, or, blessed or, or beautiful or oh, how fortunate, oh, how happy are the poor in spirit. So like nobody ever said, hey, you want to be happy? Well, happiness is on the other side of humility. And that humiliating thing you're going through right now that you really wish wasn't there, that's actually the entry point into God's plan for your happiness. Mm. It's like nobody talks like that, but Jesus, I believe he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. You know, uh, everybody that don't believe in Jesus, they believe that he was a great teacher, a prophet, a miracle worker. It's like only Jesus talks this way, you know? And so what I keep finding as I work through the Beatitudes, as I look at my own life, is that a lot of things that I'm going through that I don't like are actually the seeds to which God's plan for happiness is at, actually at work in my own life. Mm, that's good. Talk more about that. What's the connection between humility and happiness? Well, so it, really what's what most of us don't think about is the fact that happiness is always tied. So if you take the first beatitude and you put it to the first fruit of the spirit, you know, the first characteristic of the fruit of the spirit is love. Now you put those together. Now, most people are happy when there's love in their life, plain and simple. It's like you get, you know, you, you, when someone's in love, or I remember people call it young love when people are brand new in love. And it's like, you're almost like, get away from me. Like, why are you so happy? You're just like everything. You're like something straight up annoying. Like, this is amazing. Annoying. Totally. You know, and Dude. everyone's annoyed because they kind of want that. Right. They're like, I want that. So, so here's the deal. You know, if you think about, so love is an essential part of a happy life, but why don't we love people? Well, because we're proud. You know, like we, we, we see ourselves as superior to other people. And so our pride kind of keeps us from loving people. So one of the things that, like I say, like if, if humility is the entry point into happiness, it's where, right where Jesus began, the very first, oh, how happy is the person who realizes that they're spiritual bankrupt? Oh, how happy is the person who is humbled? 
right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If that's the entry point, then I also realize that pride is the antithesis of happiness. And pride is the only reason why I would choose not to love other people. And so like they all end up becoming tied together where you realize that humility is the beginning of the, the first step in happiness because the only way a person with their faith and trust in Jesus is if they realize that they need saving. They can't save themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so anybody who said yes to Jesus, that was a step of humility to say, I am a sinner. I need a savior. And his name is Jesus. So I'm going to trust him with this part of my life. And that really opens up the door to what God has, because I make the case that really happiness is found in Jesus, in our identity in him, not so much all the things that we want or the circumstances that we want change. That's good. That's good. I think about the kind of the false happiness, like that manic happiness or that feeling base, right? Those things are good. But how many times in our culture, we're aiming toward that perfect moment. If we could just find this, then that. So kind of the message I'm hearing in this book as I read it was you're bringing happy back. Like you're redefining happy because sometimes it's like, are we even allowed to feel like that? So talk first about happiness and what it isn't. How have we painted happiness in our culture? And then how is this almost diametrically opposed to that kind of happy? Yeah, so... I'm happy to talk about this because in a lot of ways, that's my goal in the book is like, I actually want to redeem the word happy back from mm. kind of our culture Bring or back. our circumstantial ways. So it's like, you know, you know, good old, you know, uh, Christ in culture. It's like, you know, I'm in the, like the redemption part of it. Like, like we're yeah. going to take that word back. Now, what's amazing is, is so much of the happiness seeking of our culture. It's not new. It's actually as old as the scriptures uh, in the prophet Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter two, The Lord tells Jeremiah, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which hold no water. Now, right there, it's like human happiness. It's right there because God is lamenting that the the children of Israel at the time, they they had forsaken him. And he calls himself the the fountain of living waters, the source of all that is life-giving and all that is refreshing. He's the source of it. They've pushed me away. And instead of wanting the source of all that is life-giving, we want to make for ourselves our own little water pots, these little cisterns. But then he says, they're broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the idea of this, like, imagine if, like, you have access to the fountain of all water, but instead you're like, I actually want my own little water pot. I made it for myself. And the problem is, is that it's leaky. So there, you'll get a little water out of it, but ultimately you still are thirsty. You're not nourished and you're not refreshed, but like, that's what we do. So like our culture says, Hey, listen, you get this car. You're going to be happy. Hey, you get married. You're going to be happy. Hey, you get divorced. You're going to be happy. Hey, you become a lead pastor. You're going to be happy. Oh, you get this anti-aging cream and it's going to slow down your age. Guess what? You're going to be happy. And what happens is, is, we go and we run to these things. And not that these things are necessarily bad, except maybe the divorce piece. You know what I mean? Depending on the circumstances. But like really what it does is it, it pacifies us for a moment. You get a drip of water, but you actually don't get the refreshment that only comes from the Lord, who's the source of all living water. And so for me in all of my life, whether it's me pursuing music as a career, uh, even in, in as, as a pastor, sometimes you can, you know, build your identity on all these different things as an author. Like I realize who I am in Jesus. My happiness is not from how many people buy the book. Like my happiness is like, hey, this is an offering uh, to the Lord and, and to the world and God will use it however he wants to. But if we're not careful, instead of 
getting our life from the Lord and, 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 and abiding in Jesus, what we end up doing is we just have a, all these different broken water pots that really don't hold any water. So good. We talk about workmanship before works, like Ephesians 2.10, identity before impact, roots before fruits. And man, isn't it so freeing when you know who you are and you know who you're not, and there's a contentment in that, and then God invites you into that. That's the kind of impact springing from identity that truly has joy to it, where I'm like, I can't believe this is what I get to do. I can't believe God has invited me into these things. Man, like who who could imagine more than that? Uh, so you're obviously a sunny side up person. Um, I would imagine there's so much of that before you came to know Jesus. Early in the book, you talk about handling vibe patrol for parties in your pre-Jesus days. I think we're going to need to hear more about that at some point. I didn't know that as a friend, but I, I can certainly imagine it. You say, though, on page 17, the Beatitudes tell us who we are, not what we have to do. Why is that so crucial? Well, you know, there's an old saying that they're called the be attitudes and not the do attitudes. And so, you know, and, and this is something that me and you have talked about and you've shared it with our staff as you've come and coached the Crossroads staff. It's like we have a tendency to to just put the, the wrong things in the front. And so so yeah. when it talks about like the 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 like when I talk about these nine surprising ways to live the truly beautiful life, I'm constantly making the, the case. It's not something that we have to do. It's actually who we already are in Jesus. And so like, if you think of happiness, happiness is the emotion that is tied to uh, whatever our inner experience is. And, and really happiness is the on the surface emotion that's tied to joy in the heart, yeah. you know? And, and if we tie our, our happiness to external things, the circumstances, then what you end up is you end up on that, what I call the ham that the hamster wheel of happiness seeking. Where like, okay, this thing makes me happy. Now I'm not happy. Now it's like I can go on the next thing. And you're constantly exhausting yourself uh, to try and make ourselves happy. But if we really come back to this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. This is what it means to abide in him. And this is who Jesus says that I am. Now, all of a sudden, out of that identity, no matter what you have going on, you are happy in the midst of it because you know who you are. And a great example of this, by the time you get to the end of the Beatitudes, the, the eighth and the ninth beatitude both speak about persecution. And you have that amazing picture of the apostle Paul and Silas, and they're in a Philippian jail. And it says that they're in stock. So it's not like they're like hanging out on a hammock and living the dream. Jail. It's man. like, living dude, they're completely the uncomfortable. Like, it's like, like I couldn't imagine sleeping. Like I have a hard enough time sleeping and, you know, in a bed, let alone like in stocks where it's just completely uncomfortable and they're praising the Lord. Now, like, it's not like they knew that, like, man, the Holy Spirit is going to put this in the scriptures and we need to make sure we look like uber spiritual. <laughs> it was like, it's like they're like, and a Philippian jail was not like nice. And I'm not saying that jail today is nice, but it's not in the Roman Empire, you know, 2000 years ago. It's like, it was horrible, you know, but in the midst of that, there is this joy. And then once the, you know, the earthquake happens and the, and the, and the, and the doors open up, you know, they're just hanging. They're not like running out of like, get me out of here. Like they're just so happy in Jesus where they are that when the Philippian jailer goes to kill himself, he's like, Hey bro, we're all here. Like come talk, you know? And then before you know it, you know, work is happening. And so I always like to remind people that the reason this is so important is because, you know, grumpy Christians are bad missionaries. Bam. You know, like, and it's like, and in a lot of ways, when we root our happiness in Jesus and not in the externals, 
then all of a sudden it opens up the salt and light witness that God has called us to be. I love it. I love, and also love that I can hear your kids in the background. You got a snow day today for launch day on your book. Like that is just the beauty and the chaos. That is the Fusco fam. I, I hear you, the Briggs fam as well. If our culture were to write a book today, I feel like it would be called crazy depressed or crazy divisive. So what's going on? What's gotten us here? And how can this, this who we are, be the antidote? Well, I mean, obviously, I think the reason that we are where we are today is because everybody lives out of the overflow of what's on the inside, you know, and in a lot of ways, you know, my, my previous book, Upward, Inward and Outward, from based on the greatest commandment, really talks about how someone's belief about God, their upward beliefs drives their identity, which is the way they see themselves. And that out of the overflow of the upward and the inward, then we have our ethics, how we treat one another. You know, and right in the Garden of Eden, what you realize is that eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it flipped the script around. And our culture doesn't say live upward, inward, and outward. It says live inward, outward, if you have anything left over, it's upward. And so it begins with the with self-centeredness, which again, you go back to the first beatitude, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, how happy is the poor in spirit. And so what you have, we live in a divisive day and age, in a depressed day and age, because it's, we live in a, in a, in the, the, the individual is on the throne. Like each one of us, our culture says you are on the throne of your own life. And I always like to say, uh, when we think we're the sun in the center of the solar system and nobody's life revolves around us, it can be quite disconcerting, right? So, So I think really what it comes down to is it comes down to letting the spirit of God reorder us so that our, it begins with who God is and, and who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And then we find our identity, a, a, a cruciform-shaped identity, a cross-based identity, which both acknowledges how amazing we can be because we're image bearers of God and fearfully and wonderfully made, but also how jacked up we can be because we're all broken. We're, we're flawed and warped by sin. We have the wrong desires. We have the right desires that we act out in the wrong ways. I mean, it's the whole the whole kaleidoscope of humanity, you know, and, and then, you know, f- coming out of that identity now, uh, then we treat people differently. And so one of the things that I love so much, like in Crazy Happy, where you start looking at, especially the fruit of the spirit, everybody pretty much agrees that there are beautiful qualities. Like, so like when you're like, when, when you know who you are in Jesus, you can be patient with people. I mean, there's things like, you know, there's kindness is in there. My wife, my bride, Lynn, who I love so much, always says, Daniel, kindness matters. You know, like, uh, you know, there's gentleness. You know, the spirit of God does the work of kind of taking away the, the more sharp edges of our character because he realizes that people are fragile, you know. And so, you know, we live in a day and age where people aren't thinking about, like, even though I disagree with you politically, how can I be kind to you? How can I be gentle to you? How can I be patient with you? And I mean, all of this, if you root it back in the identity of God, that upper God is super kind to us. He's very gentle with us. I mean, talk about being patient. God, you know, if there was like an award for the most patient, just taking God in his relationship with me, God has proved himself to be the most patient person who has ever lived. And so uh, really, we really need to let the Lord really kind of reorient mm-hmm. our priorities so that who he is drives everything as opposed to us and our selfishness. And guys, this is up to, upside down stuff is we talk about being living right side up in an upside down world. Like our world is jacked up and it is now, I think COVID has allowed us to see that so clearly this political season 
has allowed us to see that so clearly. I don't know how many people have said what you said. Like, could we just disagree and be kind? So much, you and I agree, so much is about posture. We talk a lot about posture, that people are okay disagreeing with us if you come with a posture of kindness, of gentleness, of these things that are not sexy and yet are are life, right? They are life-giving. We've forgotten them somewhere along the way. And so if you're tuning into this, interviewing Daniel Fusco and his book, Crazy Happy, Nine Surprising Ways to Live the Truly Beautiful Life. That's what we're talking about, Truly Beautiful Life. Um, If you're on our Right Side Up community watching it live, go ahead and hit share. We'll get this out to more people. If you are listening to this later on our podcast, don't forget about our Right Side Up community. We have some lightning round questions coming soon, but uh, I'll just let Daniel kind of be nervous about those. No idea what's coming for those. Uh, Upside down. I don't know what is more upside down than you in the book talking about the link between grief and joy. Tell me more about that. Okay, well, so the second beatitude is blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now, I mean, it's like, it's so provocative. Oh, how happy are those who are weeping? Those who are happy are those who are grieving. Like nobody says that. And most people would say, oh, you're happy when there's the absence of sadness. There's the absence of grief. There's the absence of mourning. But Jesus says, no, 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 actually, you're actually happy when you do more. Now, I like to explain it this way. First, the reason we grieve is because if you love people, all the brokenness should break your heart. God's heart is broken by the stuff that's going on so much so that Jesus came on a rescue mission and Jesus's body was broken for the redemption of people, right? So there are things that break the father's heart. Now, really what the Bible is trying to teach, what Jesus is trying to teach us is that actually a life that is divorced of grief is not a happy life, but God leverages grief so that he can bring comfort to us. And then when he brings comfort to us in the midst of our mourning or grief about what's going on in the world, then according to second Corinthians chapter one, we, um, we comfort others with the comfort that we've received. So really what God wants to do is he wants to redeem this idea of sadness and say, actually a crazy happy life involves sadness, but, as we are grieving, God, by his spirit, comforts us. And then we get built up into it so that we can lead on out and join others with empathy and compassion in the world as they go through stuff. Like at, at Crossroads in Vancouver, Washington, where I get the pleasure of being one of the pastors, we have an amazing ministry called Grief Share. And it's actually led by two folks in our, in, in our, in our church who are, who, who've suffered significant losses, you know, and it's just amazing to me watching this man and this woman come alongside people in the rawest places of their grief. And they always say, I don't know exactly what you're going through because each one of us are unique and we're individuals, but I know what it's like to lose a loved one. And I'm just going to be with you. I'm going to hold some space with you and I'm going to walk with you no matter how messy it is. You can't get rid of me. I'm here with you. And to me, that's how God redeems mourning and sadness because now all of a sudden it becomes a tool in his tool belt that we get to, to be a part of to help in the redemption, the redemptive plan that God always has in the world. And so I'm always trying to get people to look at their, their grief and their sadness from a biblical perspective. And of course, there's that great example. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Shortest verse in the Bible, right? That Jesus wept. It's like he, he, he delayed on purpose. He knew Lazarus was going to die. That's why he, because he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. But yet Jesus saw the 
sadness of Mary and Martha and the people. And he wept alongside of them because Jesus loved them. And so I always tell people like the only way you won't be sad or grieving is if you don't love people, but we've already established that if you don't love people, you're not going to be happy anyway. So part of life on this side of eternity is loving, which will also include sadness or grieving as, as any of us know, who've lost the loved one. Yeah, man. So good guys. I know that we're talking to you today that some of yous are out there um, because I don't like grief in my flesh. I'm not like, Oh man, we got a couple of Enneagram sevens chatting here. Like seven times two, we got 14 here. We're not talking grief. Like, Hey, I love to just hear how painful life can be, but friends, we've got to grieve. Like the Valley floor is part of the climb to the mountaintop. And I wish that earlier in my life, uh, I would have been able to chat with counselors. I would have been able to talk with people to say like, own this. Some of you are still stuck in last year. Whether you were a leader that has lost things, grieve that loss. If you're a pastor saying, I'm not sure what the future of our church is going to look like. I've heard it said that people don't fear change. They fear loss. And so we fear that loss. And so many times I think we say, well, this is proof. God doesn't love me. I'm not going to be joyful. And I've had losses even the last few weeks. I woke up today and said, but today is a gift. But today is a gift. Guys, there's a lot like this in this book, Countercultural. Um, this is not what you think. It isn't just, hey, keep the good vibes going. Be on Vibe Patrol, the parties like you used to before you came to know Jesus. And we're not talking about Vibe Patrol. We're not talking about good vibes only here. I love uh, this book. Daniel, so proud of you, man, and what God's doing in your life and how it's you know working its way out on the pages. I want to get personal in this last question before I hit the lightning round. What's one thing God did below the surface of your life in 2020 that you never would have wanted, but that you absolutely needed? Oh, man, to to reduce it down to one thing, I mean, uh, in some ways, I felt like 2020 was like demo day. Uh, you know, under the water and, line and your chip life. gains so excited for uh, demo totally, day. but you know, and I, and I, but I don't enjoy demo day as much as Chip and Joanna seem to enjoy it. But like, you know, I, I felt like that 2020 did a really amazing job of of revealing heart idols, you know, um, things that you're like, man, and especially like, you know, when I went into the 2020. Um, you know, at our church, I mean, God had been doing so much and it's such an amazing place. And, you know, um, there were so many things that were like, man, we are just like, this thing is hitting on all cylinders. Like, like finally we got the, the cars restored and that's time to take the top down and see what it can do. And then all of a sudden it was just like, everything stopped. And uh, at least the way it had been going and uh, very quickly, the Lord said, hey, you know, you've been trusting in this. Hey, you've been trusting in this. Hey, you've been trusting in this. You know, I went from preaching on a Sunday, multiple services in a sanctuary filled with thousands of people to, to in an in a empty sanctuary with four people on cameras. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, the Lord was like, Daniel, are you preaching for the people? Are you preaching for me? You know, are you doing it as act of worship or you do it for for, for the, the impact it has on the people. Wow. You know, and what was really beautiful was, is what I realized very, very quickly is uh, God works through all of this stuff. And so we made the commitment real quickly, even though all these idols got revealed, was we were going to come out the other end better than we went in. We weren't going to waste the pandemic. That yeah. was the word that God gave us. Don't waste the pandemic. And so uh, in a lot of ways, God has done some demo day internally, cast down some idols, said, hey, listen, I, I, want, I want a pure altar in here. 
It's not about all this other stuff. Like even like with the book, like the book was supposed to come out in the fall of 2020, you know, and sure enough, the publisher, like, hey, we, we got to push it. There was all sorts of issues with uh, COVID and the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, you know, and I had to get to that place where now it's just all about, can I trust? Can I live surrendered? It doesn't matter what it looks like. You know, God is doing a work through all of this stuff. And so no matter what the the pivots are, I guess there's an, that's an old saying, blessed are the flexible Yep. for they will not break. But then I keep telling people, but you will get really sore when yep. you're really flexible sometimes. And, and I've really, we've kind of gone through that and I'm grateful for it. Yeah, man. So good. Love that. And uh, friends, we are talking about Daniel's book, Crazy Happy Launch Day today. If you're on the right side of community live, hopefully this is the first live interview about it that we can say right here. Um, texted you this morning, man, just thinking about you that for whatever reason, this was the moment this was supposed to come out. We've got a signed copy of the book. Um, and the winner from our right side of community is Tammy Whistle Hubbard. Tammy will be sending this out to you. No, this was not the one Daniel signed to me. This is a freshly signed copy. It's going to be heading out to you. Now, my friends, is time for me to nail Daniel to the wall just a little bit through the lightning round. Maybe we're going to dig in there, get a little bit personal. And uh, maybe we're going to have to check with his wife, Lynn, later if he's being truly honest. First of all, uh, speaking of confession, maybe some heart idols here. What would you estimate is the most cups of coffee you've ever drank in one day? Um, it has to be north of 20 cups. Well, it depends on how, what size the cup, too. So, you, like, you know me. It's like I live in the Pacific Northwest where coffee is a love language. And I'm all Italian where espresso is a love language. And so and, and definitely north of 20 north big cups. Like, 20 so. cups. That could kill a large elephant, folks, but not Daniel Fusco. All right. We're going to roll through these questions. It just mellowed me. It just mellowed me out. It just mellowed you out. The, the exact opposite. All right. <laughs> if you and The Rock fought, how would you win? Oh, Dwayne gosh. The Rock Johnson comes at you. Well, I, I think... Okay, the way I'd win is first, it would just be straight up intimidation. And, and so what I would probably do is I would take my dreads down and put them on my face. Uh, and, probably and he's already feeling insecure. Nothing. He's already feeling yeah, insecure. Like I, with I, that I got hair better hair. hair. Okay, that's you know, and then I would probably strip down to just like a loincloth, like you know, straight up, and then he'd be freaked out at that point. He wouldn't know what's going on. He'd run Getting away attacked by some crazy some crazy guy. I got it. Beautiful. <laughs> that's man. the only intimidation, definitely. I have that picture in my head and friends, you can't unsee so that if you just pictured it. All right. What's your favorite famous Italian person? Oh, that's a hard one. So it'd have to be my, probably my honorary uncle, Frank Sinatra. Frank. Blue eyes. Frank. All right. I have, I have aunts who have the Frank Sinatra credit card. I kid you not. Oh, there you go. All right. Probably you didn't know that there was a thing. It's a thing. I didn't know, man. There's all kinds of Italian kind of mob jokes. We'll talk about it later afterwards, but maybe more important in person, what's your favorite Italian dish of all time? Are we talking dessert? Or are we talking like, um, like main course? One entree, one dessert. Okay. So the one entree would be uh, eggplant rollatini is my absolute favorite. And so it's like a kind of breaded uh, baked eggplant that's rolled uh, with three different types of cheese. And then it's got sauce and cheese on top. My grandma, Anita Cappadona, made a phenomenal eggplant rollatini. And then of course, favorite dessert is only one thing, you know, leave the gun, take the cannolis. Cannolis. I'm a, okay. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cannoli connoisseur. There you go. 
Guilty as charged. The cannoli connoisseur. All right, what's the best burger you've ever eaten? Please describe what was on it. Because you can well, eat some burgers, my man. I can't wait for all the restaurants around here to open up again because you know I'm always on the hunt for uh, the best burgers. So my favorite, my absolute favorite burgers are a place called Portland Burger, uh, which are is owned by some friends of mine. And they came up with a burger that they called the Epic. And the Epic is, it's a bacon cheeseburger that's got uh, pulled pork on it with uh, also kind of their special spicy coleslaw on a bun. And it is absolutely extraordinary. So I, I would try and eat more than one. It's, it's huge. You should not even try and eat one, but it is like, it's so appropriately named. And I'm not a person who throws the word epic around very much, but, but like, that's the stuff right there. That's epic. All right. I know where we're going next time. I'm in Vancouver. We're driving over the river. We are eating the epic burger together. What is a show or movie that you liked, but you really shouldn't have? <laughs> well, okay. So, so, so growing on up, um, one of my greatest memories growing up was sitting with my grandma. So my grandma today, Anita, she's 94 years old. But oh, when we would cano- grow up, we the would cannolis sit. that maybe she made, the eggplant that she made growing up, Anita, sweet, sweet woman. Anita, she's sweet. And so my grandma, she's like, now she's like four, seven. She was like five feet tall. Now she's getting smaller. But growing up, I would sit with my grandma and my mom and we'd watch NYPD Blue. So Fair. with Dennis friends and, you know, it's, it's a classic. It was like the first nighttime cop show that was like, there was stuff in there that hadn't been on TV before. And I remember I'd be watching it with my mom, mom and grandma. This was before I knew Jesus. And then stuff would go on and my grandma would go, Madonna mia, because it's just be like something super inappropriate. And then I would think to myself, I can't believe I'm watching this with my grandma right now. But we always watched it. And so so if I ever see it, like, and if it's on like Netflix or whatever, I'm going to go watch an episode. I have to fast forward through some of it. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a guilty pleasure. Go NYPD Blue, the original New York cop show. There you go. I was gonna say Tiger King, so you're actually a better man than I. Um, a moment you experienced during COVID that you'll never forget. Um, oh, so maybe there's a lot of things. Um, I think what I'll never forget was I was traveling back from a teaching trip to I was in. Tucson, Arizona, and then I went over to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And on my way back, um, this was at the at the beginning of March 2020. I had to lay over in Seattle, which is where the first like breakout was really, really big. And as I'm going to the airport, I get like a phone call from uh, Diana, who I work alongside. And Diana's like, hey, Daniel, I, I want to switch your flight. I don't want you to go through Seattle. And I'm just like, oh, man, I'll be fine. I didn't even realize it was really the first, where the first outbreak was, I found out later. But I remember I got on this plane going to Seattle and everybody is like sharing, like they're giving out like, you know, bleach wipes and everyone's wiping the seats down. And finally, the lady's like, you know that there's a, this huge breakout in Seattle. And I landed, the flight, the flight was delayed. And I literally ran from my gate in Seattle to my flight to get me to the Portland airport. And the only, I was literally in the Seattle airport for less than a minute. And the only thing that touched anything was the soles of my feet. And I got onto the plane and I'm like, 
that was insane. And then when we got home, like I got home and the next day it was like everything got shut down. And I was like, I'll, I'll never forget that. That was just a crazy life experience. Crazy. All right. Uh, someone you would love to have a, have a cup of coffee with someday. Oh, like somebody who, uh, who, who I could have a cup of coffee with or somebody. Anyone who, in the world from, who you would love to have a 90 minute, great pour over cup of coffee with. Living or dead? Living. Oh, who do I want to meet right now? Well, I mean, I've had it with you, so I think I'm probably pretty good. All right, right? fair. Moving on. I'll, I'll call that. I'll call that good, right as it is. All right, the phrase that your sweet wife Lynn says to you when she needs to put you in your place. <laughs> she says, "Oh, Daniel." Oh, and that's all she, that's all she needs to say. Cause my, my bridesmaid is literally the kindest person who's ever lived. And when I get the, Oh, Daniel, I know that I'm way out of bounds at that point. I'm way out of bounds. Fair, fair. Bless her heart. As they say. All right. A person (laughs) who, you know, but I need to have coffee with somebody, you know, that I need to have coffee with. Oh, that's a great, that's a great one. Um, do you know, do you know my buddy Keith Jenkins? I don't know Keith Jenkins. Keith, if you're listening to this, I cannot wait. This is me formally asking you out for either a cup of coffee or a Zoom call. Keith, let's do it. I trust his judgment. Whether you are some kind of mafia warlord out there somewhere, you make cannolis. I don't know the backstory, Keith, but we're going to meet. All right. That is now on my bucket list. That's how much I trust you. All right, Fusco. One ridiculous thing that makes you happy. Uh. The bass makes me happy. Slap at the bass. Slap at the bass. All right, man. <laughs> there it is. Seriously, guys. Daniel loves to just escape in his office, and that is a form of worship. I love that you love the bass. Occasionally, he'll sneak up on stage at Crossroads as well. Yeah, You know, you see the hair, so you can't exactly just sneak up unannounced on the back of the stage. But love that, man. Music is so much a part of who you are. Man, last question. Just getting serious here. What's one prayer that you have for the church? in 2021 for Jesus's church in 2021. What is a prayer you can leave us with? Oh, my prayer for the church. It's, and it's a, it's a daily prayer is that, you know, our, our allegiance would be to Jesus alone, only Jesus, you know, uh, the churches, the church has become a pawn in our culture for all different things, you know, and, and I just want the church to be salt and light where, where the only, the only thing that we trust in is Jesus point people to Jesus. And uh, we just open the doors so wide say, listen, anybody who wants to come drink deep of the wells of salvation. We, we, we got the good news right here. Mm, beautiful. Well, Daniel, my friend, the real deal. And today again, becomes an author. One more time. The book is crazy, happy, nine surprising ways to live the truly beautiful life. And I would say today gives you nine surprising ways to admire this beautiful man Seriously, guys, if you are out there at a distance, the right side of community, give them a hand. If you are listening to the podcast, would encourage you to jump over the right side of community. You're so close to our heart here at Stay Forth. Respect you, love you, proud of you, sharing this message on from Vancouver, Washington to the ends of the earth. My dude, thanks for stopping by. Love you, man. God bless.
so long.